In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. You're a vegetable. I'm a vegetable. He's a vegetable. We're all vegetables. But it's okay because we're all in this together. Listening friends, thank you. Thank you for gracing us with your digital virtual presence for the next 60-ish minutes as we discuss the things that are worth discussing. Yes. If you're here, you know what, who we are and what we do. We're here to save the world. Boom, boom, boom. Hi, Jack. Hello there. How's you things? know you got me. I know that was uh, from a Michael Jackson song. Yes. But of course, you got me thinking and I combined it with a little Dr. Pepper jingle, which is going to show my age. I'm a vegetable. You're a vegetable. Wouldn't you like to be a vegetable to be a vegetable? Somebody's going to remix that if they already haven't on TikTok. Just wait. I hope so. Just wait, because that's what they do on TikTok. That would be incredible. They do they do remixes of, of songs you would never think went together. Like someone did the most awesome remix to the Reading Rainbow theme. Yeah. <laughs> like it was Chef's Kiss. I was like, who did this? Who did this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they do. They do great great work with that stuff. Yeah. That's the that's the upside of of TikTok. I won't discuss the rest. <laughs> you can go down some strange places you are guaranteed to go down to strange places so yeah you stay on there maybe seven maybe nine minutes that's all you need right i have seen things i have seen things i don't want to see anymore and then i have seen things i've never seen any place else and i'm excited somebody over in Maybe China, maybe Thailand. I couldn't tell the country, but they had strapped one of the little, the little tiny cameras that were, I guess, by Wi-Fi or whatever, or battery operator or something, mm-hmm. to the cat's collar. And the cat, that's all you saw was the journey of the cat through the neighborhood. Oh, that's cool. He's going down the streets. He's going through the bushes. You hear a dog bark. He runs behind here. You can see him kneeling down. And he was just trotting along just on his day. I was like, that was a live TikTok. When I came on it, it had like 1.2K viewers. And this was like at 8 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> just a cat. Just doing his thing. I was like. Just being a cat. I love it here. This is the this is the part of TikTok I love. The rest of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime anyway. they cam, they put cam on cams on animals. I always mm-hmm. think it's cool just to kind of, you know, watch and see kind of what they do because they've done that with you know whales and um, sharks and I want to say even like a 
once saw a lion or something like that. Mm -hmm, I bet. You know, it'd be it cool. So hmm. A cheetah. Oh, when he's what chasing a gazelle across the open. Yeah, plains. wouldn't that be cool though, just to see it, to see that viewpoint of a cheetah running full speed? <laughs> like, like you'd see the the camera closing on the hind parts of the gazelle, and then the cheetah would jump, and that's all you would see. Be like, yeah. And That'd then you'd like cool. see blood splash. Cheetah scientist, if you're listening, you need to make this happen. Yeah, they got to get close enough to a cheetah to make that work. Good luck. I mean. They have darts to knock them out. And then they could put it on. Somebody's done this. We need to look in this. Somebody's done this. They've done so. this. Any hoot. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, are you ready to uh, head into our WTFs? Indeed. Indeed I am. Here's a interesting one. I wanted to get away from the Sturm und Drang, however the Germans say it, of all the, the awful things happening and turn it over to something interesting. Okay. Mm. The headline from ABC News reads, Amish horse and buggy stolen from Walmart parking lot while family shopped. The theft took place on Saturday, which meant that was the 20th. Uh, just a few days ago, at approximately 5.30 p.m. in the town of Sturgis, Michigan, 95 miles south of Grand Rapids near the Indiana border. And the Sturgis Department of Public Safety were called to the Walmart on 1500 South Centerville Road, just in case you're in that area and you want to go by and see, um, to a report of a stolen Amish buggy and horse from the establishment's parking lot. Quote, a truck driver parked in the Walmart lot had seen a female, a female what? I don't know. A female steal the buggy, according to a statement from the Sturgis Department of Public Safety. He gave police a description of the female suspect. As it turns out, police had already made contact with a 31-year-old female suspect early in the day at the same Walmart, though officials did not elaborate on why they had spoken to her or what the reason behind the contact was. The good news Police eventually found the stolen horse's buggy later the same evening, evening and were able to find the alleged unnamed suspect at a nearby hotel where she was arrested without incident, according to authorities. The horse was then returned to the family along with the buggy following the incident, and the police said the animal, the animal was unharmed, which is the most important part here. Yes. Can you imagine... <laughs> I understand it. I understand it's a thing. That's that's what they do. It's a thing. They don't do technology. That's what they do. Not just. And if I lived up in somewhere where the Amish were, and lived there for a while, it wouldn't strike me as unusual. But if she's stealing it, you know she was hightailing it out of the parking lot. Right. That horse was at a trot, dragging that buggy down the street. You imagine. Yeah. The, the guy in the truck, he's looking, all of a sudden, he sees her get up there, chop, chop, boom. He's like, uh, that didn't look right. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, cousin Ed, the strawberry farmer, where he lives uh -huh. in Hagerstown, Indiana, a good chunk of his neighbors are Amish. And um, his his strawberry farm is a you pick them farm. Mm -hmm. But he'll give the... Uh, the Amish a big old bunch of 
strawberries and they make strawberry fried pies. And it's a good thing that I do not live near him because those fried pies are ungodly good. They are never heard incredible. Never heard of a fried strawberry pie, but it sounds intriguing. Oh. There's also mm. they also do a strawberry and rhubarb pie. Not quite as good as just the plain strawberry. Um, but he did let us know that how you can tell if your Amish neighbor is home or not. And that would be that the uh, the barn door is open. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> they just leave it open where the buggy parks. And if that is door is wide open, then you know, nope, my neighbor is not home. Ezekiel! <laughs> <laughs> yep. That reminds me of that doggone Dave Chappelle joke. Oh, did you see that one? It was one of the ones I on Netflix have, from a few I've years seen... ago. I probably have. He's talking about because he lives what, in Ohio near the Amish. Yeah. And he said they love me. They didn't heard about me in the streets. <laughs> he tells he rolling down the road and he sees one of them in the horse and buggy. He tells him, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, let me turn down my air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, every oh. every Christmas my cousin will post a picture of just like black and he'll go, I every, he and he always posts every year. I just love my Amish neighbors' Christmas decorations, their light show they put on. No, Lord. <laughs> oh, man. Did you know, and I think that, I don't know, I think it's still a thing that there was a period in time, because you know that how romance novels always have like countless subgenres. There right. was a, there was a string of Amish romance novels that were out some years ago. No lie. That would be interesting it was just looking at the cover art was like i guess why not <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah 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 are there amish uh in virginia or would if there are would they be closer to the west virginia part of virginia i don't know about amish but i know there's at least one mennonite church near me yeah we have a lot of mennonites here in oklahoma yeah but Amish, I'm not sure. It may be, it may be further out west. But yeah, at least one Mennonite, because I would always see the sign for the church on my way to work when I was still going to office. Mm -hmm. So at least one church. Yeah. Matter of fact, we've got a variety of of houses of worship, which is interesting for what technically is the South. Go figure. Anyway, yeah. here's that. That's my um my WTF. I just thought that was just. I needed a break. Yeah. My my brain needed a break from the absurdity of, the of, of everything. And that was just like, let me cross this one off my bingo card for 2024. A yeah. stolen horse and buggy. I did not have that on mine. So I'm glad okay. that you did. So if you have a blank, fill it in and check it off. Because we're, we're almost done with January. We've got 11 months to go and God help us. I know we're going to be wrapping up this year before we know it. Either we'll be really, really happy or not. All right. What's your WTF? Speaking of not being happy, I'm going to talk about friend of the podcast, Senator Thomas Tuberville. No. Who, of course, you know, 
had his months-long blockade of military promotions. And so he uh, has come out with this interesting thing. He was on TV. He was talking about this um, because now he is, well, I mean, obviously he's upset with the Biden administration, but not even for something they're doing. This is just a completely made up thing. So as he says on Newsmax, quote, a lot of people don't know this, but the Biden administration is looking for every possible way to take care of these people coming across the border that the American taxpayers shouldn't be responsible for, especially our veterans. He said, we just recently found out that the Biden administration has decided to use VA-operated community care systems in rural areas for migrants. And it's pushed our veterans to the back of the line. That's kind of funny that he's complaining about veterans being pushed to the back of the line. Um, <sighs> but there's a pretty strong reason why nobody has heard about this happening. Because it's not. Okay, I was going to say, it's just a figment of his imagination. <laughs> yeah, they don't do that. Um, he has even co-authored legislation to make it that the Biden administration has to stop doing this, which is going to be fairly easy for them to do since they're not doing it. Correct. Okay. okay. And then it led to um, the VA releasing this official statement. VA does not provide or fund any health care to ICE, Immigration and Custom Enforcement detainees. Department Press Secretary Terrence Hayes said in a statement responding to the GOP accusations. Currently, ICE pays the VA to help process payments for health care costs for immigrants in their custody. And fewer than 10 employees from the VA's Financial Service Center are tasked with the work as part of their other duties. Fewer than 10. So that means nine. Yeah. <laughs> nine, and, nine and a half. <laughs> but, um, but it adds that the VA provides similar processing services to other agencies, such as the Office of Re Refugee Resettlement and the Indian Health Service, and noted that this arrangement has been in place since 2002 and continued through presidential administrations of different parties. <laughs> it ends with my, I love this. Given that this is Thomas Tuberville we're talking about, I'm willing to accept that he doesn't know about this arrangement. And he didn't know about this arrangement until recently. But he's been corrected already. His attempt to keep pushing the baseless pain claim should have been seen for what it is, a cheap way to use vets to malign migrants. But he doesn't give a crap about the military to begin with. Yeah, he proved stated. that. <laughs> yeah. So why do you care what happens to them when they get out? Right. Because he doesn't care. Most GOP don't care. That That's all a prop that they, they use veterans in the military as a prop. Right. And this is, this is just proving a point that has been slowly fermenting in my mind for at least the last year that real journalism has gone soft. Because if they were very, if they were interested in telling the truth about folks like him, they would tell the truth. Yeah. And I guess, 
I guess the only benefit of a doubt I can give them is that with their, if they're truly telling the news, they're supposed to be unbiased. You can't be unbiased when you talk about stuff like what he did. Yeah. Like, you can't, the rules of real journalism say you can't call Tommy Tuberville a childish, selfish brat. But you can say he and he alone has been holding up promotions and appointees and the armed forces, blah, da, 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 da. And affecting the readiness of our country. But that military. doesn't have but that doesn't have the same ring as right. Tuberville is a selfish megalomaniac podcast. Yeah. You just can't say that because now it sounds biased. Yeah. Uh, the corporate <sighs> media has really all corporate media on the right, on the left. A lot of what's going on is kind of their fault. Um mm-hmm. You know, an example would be Orange Man comes out after day of trial in the New York civil uh, fraud trial, and he complains, they didn't even let me have a jury trial. Well, if the corporate media, and this includes, you know, this is the people on the right, if they would say, no, he didn't have a jury, when he was done and they come back and they would just say, Trump didn't have a jury trial because his attorney, Alina Haba, is America's worst attorney, and she didn't fill out the paperwork to have a jury trial because in the state of New York, a civil fraud trial is automatically a bench trial, and there's a date that you have to fill out paperwork if you want a jury trial, and she didn't do it. That's why she doesn't have a jury trial. If every time he said that, when they come back, they pointed that out, that's just, you know, one small example. There's tons of examples that are, you know, that could be made, you know, yeah. with Tuberville. Did did the Newsmax host say to him, and where's your documentation of this? Where's your proof? No, they just took it and ran. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's an outrage. You're right. Yeah. Um, it's like, and, and grant you, it's not media, but it's just as bad. Like all these stupid campaign ads that I told you I've been seeing. And the one that, you know, apparently is approved and written by the Republicans, stating emphatically that it's Biden Harris and the Democratic plot to keep the little leader from campaigning by keeping him in court and making him spend up all his money. First of all, he's not spending his money. He's spending donors money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And second of all, it is not Biden Harris and Democrats fault. Because every single trial that he's involved in now went to trial because of a grand jury that was made up of regular, regular citizens. Yep. Regardless of political affiliation. Yeah. Like, ew. (laughs) One of the things I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks is, (sighs) on the one hand, you're taking crap all the way up to the Supreme Court that the president has absolute immunity. And while president, there is nothing they can do that is illegal. And on the other hand, you're complaining that the current president is coming after you through the courts. On your first argument, he's entitled to do that because everything the president does is illegal or is legal because he has absolute immunity. Which also means... Whatever it is that the Republicans have been trying to accuse him of, in their 
Yeah, including <laughs> all these things that they're quote unquote trying to impeach him on. It's legal because he has immunity. If it applies to the little leader, then it applies to the current sitting president. Oh, but we forget in the little leader's mind, the rules only apply to he, he, who he thinks they should apply to. Yeah. I think it'd be hilarious if at the State of the Union, like Biden gets up there and he's like, I got a little audio segment. And then it's Trump saying the, um, you know, the immunity, yada, yada, yada. And then he's like, so my Republican friends here in the House, everything that you're investigating me for is cool because I have absolute immunity. It would be funny if he did that and he had it on one of them little old school recorders with the little tiny tapes like and he just <laughs> <laughs> he pulled it out of his pocket click and just put it down the podium and just it sticks it like in front of the mic and he's <laughs> like sorry my... he's like he showing my back. age here <laughs> showing my age here going like, a little a nixon <laughs> he he pushed the rewind okay it's right there there you go yeah, yeah and they played Trump, and then he's like, so you guys might as well stop investigating me because everything I've done as president is okay because I have unqualified absolute immunity. And then the press secretary pops up and says, no questions, and then they leave. <laughs> yeah. You thought they were mad last year when he correctly called them on their lie that they're not trying to cut Social Security, even though they had three bills and committees to do that. But, you know, hey. I just, I just, it, my mind just flashes back to that moment in the, was it the last debate? The second or the last debate that he had with the little leader in uh, 2020. And, and the little leader said something, as usual, ridiculous. And Biden was like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fell out of my chair when I saw that. I was like... <laughs> Look at Uncle Joe. What is he doing? Yeah, yeah. So that's where Biden was better in the debates than Hillary was because Biden, I think, snark comes naturally to him. And I'm not entirely oh, yeah. sure snark is natural for Hillary. Mm, no, no. And really, I wouldn't be surprised if her funny bone died out a long time ago. And that's that's nothing personal. But I I digress. Um, That's a whole different issue. But um, before we yeah. get to what you were going to go to, <laughs> did you see that America's greatest attorney, Alina Haba, mm. maybe getting hosed by the judge in the uh, Lewis Kaplan in the second Eugene Carroll case that's going on? Because mm -mm. she requested that they not have court on Tuesday, even though they tried to blame it on the judge and the Democrat, because she was. Um, exposed to people with COVID and she was had and she had a fever and wasn't feeling good. And so they, and there was also a jury member that was exposed to COVID and had a fever, a real exposure. And so that was one of the reasons they canceled uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. So what happened on Tuesday? A bunch of social media posts of Alina Haba at a campaign rally. And apparently judge Kaplan has seen those photos and he's not very happy with her. And he is contemplating a very large fine for her or possible contempt of court charges. I wish she was definitely be contempt of court. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that. I would love it too. I would love it for her very much. I, I would love too. it for, for her and the whole defense team and the little leader, all of them, all of it. I would love her. 
because apparently judges don't like it when attorneys out and out lie. lie to them like that. Right. And then you have proof of said lie. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, when the principal is in the bar and Ferris is on TV at the ball game. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh boy. I guess it could be the if she does end up for contempt, they could do a special one episode made for TV movie sequel of Orange is the New Black. Mm. Lena Hava. That was bad, I know, but No, because I'm just thinking about I watched that entire eight seasons. And the main character, the one that actually wrote the book, she became absolutely boring by the second episode. So if they could do it like that, I would watch it. <laughs> I will watch it. <laughs> yeah, my favorite is somebody was playing a thing and she was like, someone asked me, would you rather be um, pretty or smart? And I would rather be pretty because you can fake being smart. And the person goes, she cannot fake being smart. You can't fake being smart. <laughs> like, Other people might have that ability, but Alina Hobbit does not. In order to fake being smart, you also have to be somewhat charismatic. Right. And she just gets by... I don't even really think she's all that pretty, to be honest with you. I don't I don't even think of it in terms of that. I'm just you can you can fake a lot of things if you're charismatic. You can literally tell people. You could shoot somebody <laughs> in Fifth Avenue and you wouldn't lose a vote. You could tell people, yes, I read three thousand books a year between the ages of eight and twelve. And people would believe you because you're that charismatic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That whole thing has been an interesting deal. But oh, yeah. anyway, that was my WTF. We should probably actually move on to the the meat of the episode, so to speak. Sure, sure, sure. So today's subject, it was actually, um, it was actually someone that I had briefly mentioned, I would like to say. During February 2022, when we were doing our a profile a day. Mm -hmm. on, Back when we were a baby pod. Mm -hmm. On notable Black Americans. Yes, it was 2022. 20, um, and that was, uh, that was a mistake because I surely should have suggested this person for a full-blown episode much sooner. But as it so happens, here recently there was a biopic that came out about this person real recently on Netflix. And the actor who plays this person has just been nominated for lead actor for said movie. That's exciting. The person in question is civil rights leader Bayard Rustin. Never heard the name? I have not. There's a reason. And it's unfortunate that not a lot of people hadn't heard his name before. But we're going to talk about him because he turns out to be very instrumental, maybe even more than some of the other people's names that you're familiar with associated with the civil rights movement. So we're going to talk know, that's, about him. That's kind of a frequent thing that for some reason somebody puts in like all of the groundwork and infrastructure sort of building and then someone else ends up sort of becoming the, the face of a movement. True, true. I don't know if that's what's going on here. I'm just saying that that seems to happen 
frequently. It it is, and there was a couple of reasons for it, but his efforts should not go unnoted, which they have it. It's just that his name just doesn't get brought up nearly enough when you talk about the civil rights movement. You got you got MLK, and to an extent you've got Malcolm X, even though he was supposedly a little more radical, whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, and then, of course, you've got other figures. You've got Rosa Parks. You've got, oh, boy, I can't even off the top of my head. I can't think of anybody else. That's crazy. But those are the names that you hear most often. His name isn't heard most often, but he is, like I said, he was instrumental in a great deal of happenings during that time period. So I want to talk about him. Born Bayard Taylor Rustin. In Westchester, Pennsylvania, March 17th, 1912. His parents were pretty young. So unfortunately, he really didn't know his father. His mother was 16. And due to her age, for many years, he thought she was his sister because he was raised by her parents. Here's another fun fact. They were Quakers. Interesting. Yes. That's also what happened with Jack Nicholson. Interesting. As a teenager, he played left tackle on the high school football team, wrote poems, and apparently was a pretty decent singer. According to rumor, legend, Laura, whatever you want to say it, he staged an impromptu sit-in at a restaurant that would serve his white teammates, but not him. When he told his grandmother he preferred the company of young men to girls, she simply said, I suppose that's what you need to do. Keep that in mind. In 1937, well, let me back up. In 1932, he entered Wilberforce College. That's a school that we've talked about several times on this pod. That we have. And he was uh, active in a number of campus organizations, including the unofficial brother fraternity to my sorority, Omega Sci-Fi. Unfortunately, he was expelled from Wilberforce in 1936 after organizing a strike, and he later attended Shaney State Teachers College, now called Shaney University of Pennsylvania, and Shaney honored him with a posthumous Doctor of Humane Letters degree at its 2013 commencement. He moved to Harlem in 1937 and began studying at City College in New York, and he became involved in efforts to defend and free the Scottsboro Boys, which, if you never heard of this tragic story, involves the accusations against nine very young Black men who were accused of raping two white women. Surprise, surprise, they didn't do it. Didn't matter. Shocker. Um, and that's a story all, all to itself. But uh, if you've heard of it, listening friends, you know. Interesting enough, though, Rustin joined the Young Communist League in 1936, but he left in 1941 after the Communist Party USA, yes, that was a thing, reversed its anti-war policy in response to Nazi Germany's invasion of the USSR. In other words, they were like, yeah, let's get involved in that. Rustin was like, I don't want anything to do with war. He left. He then began working with members of the Socialist Party particularly a man by, with the name of A. Philip Randolph, who was the head of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. That's a very interesting organization as well. So the Communist Party USA, as a side note, they followed Stalin. If you know Stalin, you know what that is. Stalin's theory of nationalism, 
which favored the creation of a separate nation for African-Americans or Black Americans, if you like, to be located in the American Southeast, where the greatest proportion of the Black population was concentrated. And there were many uh, Black leaders throughout the years who advocated some measure of segregation, whether it had been in this country or just going back to Africa. This is not un- This was not an unheard of idea. But the fact that Rustin was in any way involved with the Communist Party, of course, worried people. Right. Keep that in mind. Yeah, isn't um, the country of Liberia and Africa made up of, well, sort of founded by former slaves that... I believe so. Yeah, because the capital's Monroe, and it was named after James Monroe, I believe. President I believe Monroe. so. Put a pin in that. That may be something to come talk about later on. Another one of Rustin's socialist mentors was the pacifist A.J. Mustay. I assume that's how you say the name. He was the leader of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, or FOR, and that organization hired Rustin as a race relations secretary in the summer of 1941. Mustay, Randolph, and Rustin proposed a march on Washington, D.C. in 1941 to protest racial segregation in the armed forces and widespread discrimination in employment. And they met with President Roosevelt, and Randolph asked or requested, or however you want to put it, the president that if African-Americans, he promised him that African-Americans would march on the Capitol unless desegregation occurred. To prove their good faith, the organizers canceled the march after Roosevelt issued Executive Order 8802, which is the Fair Employment Act, which banned discrimination in defense industries and federal agencies. However, the armed forces in which black troops typically had white commanding officers remained racially segregated until 1948 when President Harry S. Truman issued Executive Order 9981, hmm, which created the President's Committee on Equality of Treatment and Opportunity in the Armed Services, and the order mandated the segregation of the U.S. military. That's very interesting. I didn't know what it was called, but I just learned something when I researched this. That was fun. Let's see. You know who would have been opposed to that bill? Senator Tuberville. Anywho. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Rustin uh, later traveled to California to help protect the property of the more of the of of the more than 120,000 Japanese Americans most of whom were U.S.-born citizens who had been imprisoned in internment camps. And this was pretty much the onset of World War II. That has to be one of the most ridiculous, doesn't even cover it. And a long list of ridiculous things that the U.S. government has done. That's up there. And... um, Impressed with Rustin's organization skills, A.J. Musty, again, the uh, the guy who set up FOR, appointed Rustin as the Secretary for Student and General Affairs. Rustin was also a pioneer in the movement to desegregate, desegregate interstate bus travel. In 1942, he boarded a bus in Louisville bound for Nashville and sat in the second row. A number of drivers asked him to move the back according to Southern practice of Jim Crow, but he refused. The bus was stopped by police 13 miles north of Nashville, and Rustin was arrested. 
He was beaten and taken to a police station, but was released uncharged. So, two years after that, he and several other folks were arrested for failing to appear before his draft board and refusing alternative service as a conscientious objector. In other words, he said F, selective service. He was arrested, charged, and sentenced to three years. He ended up doing 26 months on a chain gang. Can you Ugh. believe it? Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, it was he was in prison in Ashland Federal Prison in Kentucky and then later moved to Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. And, well, I'll get to that in a second. 1947, he gets involved with CORE, which was the Congress of Racial Equality, another civil rights organization that was established in 1942. He gets involved with their 1947 Journey of Reconciliation, a.k.a. the Freedom Rides. And, well, that's what they were known later on as. And he got involved with the very first one where him and several other folks traveled um, several states, and they ended up being arrested for that as well. It, it, it Nothing about this is surprising. Um, and he and the other organizers of this recruited a team of 14 men, and they divided them up to ride in pairs through Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky. This is where he actually spent time on the chain gang after he got arrested for this. And the point of the Freedom Rise was to test the 1946 ruling of the Supreme Court's decision in Morgan v. Commonwealth of Virginia that banned racial discrimination in interstate travel as unconstitutional. And they were like, well, let's just see. Is it going to hold up? <clears throat> we already know the answer to that one. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, spent some more time in California in 1953. And after a speech that he gave there, he was arrested again for activity, the social, I mean, a sexual nature in a parked car with two white men. Right, really this ready. is... This is where he was publicly outed, but he had never made a secret of him, of him, of him being gay. Right. People around him knew. He wasn't closeted. It's just the, pub, the general public at large did not know until this happened. So he was originally charged there with vacancy and lewd conduct. He pleaded guilty to a single lesser charge of, quote, sexual perversion. Gosh. Um, and served 60 days in jail. And like I said, this arrest was the first time his uh, sexual orientation had come to public attention. And like I said, he wasn't ever caught. People that knew that knew he wasn't ashamed of it or anything remotely like that. And that's that's testimony from him and several other people. He wasn't ashamed of it. And this in big part explains why he didn't get the recognition that he deserved as as instrumental as he was in the events of the civil rights movement. That in his, the fact that he uh, embraced some of the concepts of communism early on, um, it didn't go over too well with some people. Um, the fellow that was the director of FOR, the organization FOR, A.J. Musty, he had already, quote unquote, tried to talk him out of his homosexuality. Didn't work, naturally. Did they try putting uh, away the gay? <laughs> it's 
anyway i can't wrap my right my mind around why people think that's that's an idea i do right mm, mm. i should add that at some um some point in 1948 and i'll back up a few years rustin actually made a germany a germany a journey to india and spent time with some folks that uh practiced the teachings of mahatma gandhi so that's where he learned the practices of nonviolent protests and such and he brought those back and helped out a fella that we all know the name of dr martin luther king jr that's where Dr. King got most of his ideas about nonviolent protests was from Rustin. Go figure. Interesting. Um, when he met up with King in 1956, King was in the middle of organizing the Montgomery bus boycott. And at the time before he met Rustin, King actually had armed guards protecting his home and his wife and his children. Rustin came and talked to him and slowly King shifted his attitude and his viewpoint over to the idea of nonviolence. Go figure. At that time, they also began organizing another civil rights uh, organization, the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which Dr. King pretty much became the head of in the last not the last year, but the the back part of his life. Mm-hmm. And again, as I mentioned, a lot of African-American leaders, especially in the civil rights movement, were concerned with his sexual orientation and his love of communism. And I won't even say love, just his embrace of certain tent poles. They didn't like it. I should also add here that this was a time period, the 50s and the 60s, were heavy with what's called respectability politics. You heard of it? I don't know if I've heard of that name, but I think I can infer sort of the idea behind it. The idea, and it it was it was big in Black American communities, and it's it still is to an extent. It just it manifests different. Think about if you want a modern day example. Think about all the fuss that a lot of uh, Black celebrities did after Slapgate how they all fell out and all they all had something to say about how awful Will Smith acted and how he made all black people look bad. That's respectability politics that you have to, that black folks and and really any marginalized community in this country had to dress a certain way and be educated a certain way and live certain places and have certain jobs in order to be accepted by the social majority. That's the idea. Yeah. So in this case, especially in the 50s and 60s, even though Rustin was not shy and he was not closeted, he was open about who he was. But there were a lot of people that shied away from it and didn't feel like he needed to be the face of the civil rights movement. So really, he was like the man behind the man, to be honest, because not only was he involved with the bus boycott, he was also heavily involved with the March on Washington in 1963. And everybody knows King's speech at the March on Washington. And the full name of that was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Everybody knows about that. A few weeks before that march, though, everybody's old favorite crotchety Southern Senator, Strom Thurmond, 
may he rest in hell, rallied against Rustin as a, quote, communist draft dodger and homosexual and had his entire Pasadena arrest file entered into the record. Thurman also produced a FBI photograph of Rustin take, talking to King while King was bathing to imply that there was a same-sex relationship between the two, which there was not. But it didn't matter. Sigh. Sometimes I just... I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I know. I, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. Anyway, y'all, everyone knows how the March on Washington went. It's it's stamped in the history books. As much history as schools want to live out, at least they get some of this right. They take out like two they they take out two lines of his speech and they insist, you know, this is how this is what Dr. King would have wanted. He wouldn't have been an advocate of affirmative action. Shut up. Anyway, and that wasn't actually the first time that there was accusations thrown around that Rustin and King were involved with each other. Back in, uh, and I should back up another few years, not too long after Rustin and King organized or put together the SCLC, they planned a civil rights march during the same time frame as the 1960 Democratic National Convention in L.A. U.S. Representative A. Adam Clayton Powell Jr. didn't like it because it was going to take attention away from, you know, him. He threatened to leak to the press rumors of an affair between Rustin and King. King canceled the march. Rustin was, was sorely disappointed, and he left his position at SCLC. That didn't mean he and, and King parted ways. He just left his position. Again, mostly because of just the pressure that, you shouldn't be here. And he thought the same thing to an extent. He didn't feel like people focusing on who he was should take away from what the civil rights movement was doing. I right. can get it, but it's a shame that it had to had it that it had to come to that. Go figure. Yeah. Knowing to, what I know uh, now about how the world conservative and all of that stuff is, it's I could see where you would feel that way. And I would I'll say this, and this is not a knock on my my fellow kinfolk at all. The fact of the matter is, while a lot of Black Americans have and to this day insist on, and rightfully so, equality and equity in this country, a lot of them, way too many of us, are rightfully socially conservative, and they don't. They don't have the capacity to accept that all black folks mean all black folks, even if those are black folks in the LGBTQ plus community. And it's shameful. I hate to say it. It's shameful. And it was it was worse then. And and to the extent it's it's the same now. So anyway, I had to put that in there. It's just it makes it makes my chest hurt. After the at the 1964 Democratic National Convention, which followed Freedom Summer in Mississippi, and if you've never heard of that, look that up too. Rustin became an advisor to the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Listening friends, if you remember a couple of years ago when we did our episode about Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, here she is again. She was one of the people instrumental in putting together the MFDP, and she was one of the people, one of the delegates 
sent to the National Convention. They were trying to establish as a, a legitimate non-Jim Crow delegation from Mississippi. Because naturally, the Democratic Party from Mississippi was all white. Go figure. Yeah, stunned. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and when, again, I just have to say it. You see where everything always comes back. Everything is all intertwined. Everything. All the time. Everywhere. Yeah. Weird. Not weird, but weird. I, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. So, after the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Rustin advocated closer ties between the Civil Rights Movement and the Democratic Party, specifically the parties based among the white working class, many of whom still had strong union affiliations. And already, yeah, a lot of Black Americans were, were considering themselves Democrats. But it was during this period that it pushed even further, and that's why... To this day, you still see a lot of Black Americans voting Democrat. Go figure. That's that's a whole conversation into itself. And I should also point out, he was pushing for a relationship between the Black working class and the white working class because of shared interests. And that was not an uncommon thing for a lot of civil rights leaders to do. Not a lot. A handful. And I think those ideas were considered, quote, radical for the time. In that, yeah, they appreciated the support of white Americans, but they was only going to go so far. What folks like Rustin and also the Black Panther Party, specifically out of Chicago, because that's what Fred Hampton was trying to do before he was assassinated. He was doing the same thing, pointing out the common interest between Blacks and other so-called disenfranchised communities, lower class whites, Hispanics. He was putting together a coalition for all those people to work together. And what happens anytime people realize that the same foot is on everybody's neck, they get together. And then what happens? The foot that's on their necks tries to stomp them out. Yeah, we've we've discussed this before that Poor whites have nothing in common with the people that they support that are, you know, mm-hmm. the wealthy whites. You have nothing in common with them other than skin tone. <laughs> Not at all. And, it, and it's a shame that it's a shame that so many people forget how 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 much most of us have in common in that respect. It goes past race, it goes past ethnicity, it goes past gender or orientation. It's it, those are the kinds of things we have in common. We all want a decent job where we're paid and treated fairly. We all want a nice place to live. We all want to be in a place where there's low crime and places with good education. We all want these things in common, but all the other shit gets in the way. Yep. That's my other, that's my little baby soapbox moment. What can I do? <laughs> But even though Rustin was openly gay, he actually didn't get started into gay rights activism until the 1980s. By this time, he had shifted out of the political scene. And some of the views, he he actually got more conservative between the end of the 60s into the 70s. And some civil rights leaders and other notable Black figures at the time kind of called him a sellout. And the fact that he... 
and I, I don't just from the research and I don't know that I would call him a sellout per se, but I think he was the radicalism was toning down. Maybe I guess you'd say for him, it's not that he didn't still want change. He was just repositioned, and of course, it never sat well with some people. Obviously, that obviously because he was gay, and obviously at the, at for a certain time he was a communist, and then later right. a socialist. They, they they didn't they didn't care about it. He may have really been one of those people that was ahead of his time, to be honest. And then some yeah. of the stuff that he was he was concerning with and how he wanted to approach things. But again, primarily for his sexual orientation and his political beliefs, he was put back in the background, sometimes voluntarily, sometimes not. But I don't think anybody should forget that he was heavily involved. Mm-hmm. Like he brought a lot of ideas to the table that were then later on adopted and carried on through the years. So he he's one of those ones that does not deserve to get forgotten about. And I was so happy to hear that Netflix was going to do the uh, the biopic, um, which I've been admittedly I've been distracted and sh- movies like that I have to sit down and be in the right mindset to take it in and appreciate it right so as soon as I get a free day which will probably be sometime in the next two and a half months and my head is clear I'm gonna sit down and watch it and I'll probably watch it again uh because the actor who plays uh Rustin is fantastic and the actor who plays him also happens to be openly gay and which is a wonder because as far as I know, he might be, I may be misquoting, and I'll go back and look again. He might be right now the only openly gay black actor in Hollywood, as far as movies are concerned. There are some there are some television yeah. actors that do primarily TV roles, but as far as Hollywood movies, he might be the only one. His name is Coleman Domingo. Remember that name. He's fantastic. He just came off of uh the reimagining of the color purple movie that came out last month. Mm -hmm. He plays the role of Albert, Mr. Johnson, which who's who was played in the original movie by everybody's favorite. I'm tired detective Danny Glover. Um, But yeah, he didn't actually come out about when, as far as gay rights are concerned until the eighties, Rustin did. And in an interview with the Washington Blade, I'm going to assume that was some kind of news publication, in the 1980s, he talks about being arrested back in uh, for um, not sitting in the segregated part of the bus there in uh, going to Nashville. And he says in the interview, quote, as I was going by the second seat to go to the rear, a white child reached out for the neck for the ring necktie I was wearing and pulled it, whereupon its mother said, Don't touch a N-word. If I go and sit quietly at the back of the bus now, that child who was so innocent of race relations that it was going to play with me would have seen so many blacks go in the back and sit down quietly that it's going to end up saying they like it back there. I've never seen anybody protest against it. I owe it to that child. Not only to my own dignity, I owe it to that child that it should be educated to know that blacks do not want to sit in the back. And therefore, I should get arrested, letting all these white people on the bus know that I do not accept that. 
It occurred to me shortly after that, that it was an absolute necessity for me to declare homosexuality because if I didn't, I was part of the prejudice. I was aiding and abetting the prejudice that was a part of the effort to destroy me. Interesting. Yeah, he was kind of ahead of his time with that viewpoint as well. He was. And I I've, I've barely cracked everything that he was involved in. Barely yeah. cracked it. Um, but yes, listening friends and Jack as well, if y'all get the chance and haven't already, please check out the movie on Netflix. Um, like I said, I'm familiar with the actor, so I have no doubt he did an outstanding job. And I will be, like I said, that is on my list, my very long list. <laughs> but like I said, I I feel like I feel because I didn't I didn't talk about him and make him a subject of a of an episode a long time ago. So finally, that's what we're doing here today. So yeah, but you shouldn't feel bad about that. There's just so the there's just so much to have to <laughs> to wade through. It is. You know? Yeah, I, it was, it's just, I guess, I guess thinking about him specifically, considering where he was in the intersectionality of all these things, especially with the time frame that he was most prominent in, it just makes me wonder what kind of a person he was to be able right. to be that transparent and unashamed. And I'm not obviously I'm not saying that he should have been ashamed. Right. Obviously not. But everyone around him kept suggesting that he should be. You gotta be more quiet. That she don't need to be in the we don't need to mention your name. We don't need even though he ended up on a magazine right. cover for something, but his yeah. actual sort sexual orientation, shh. I also think sometimes modern people we tend to judge a person on their fight for whatever it was based on a modern viewpoint versus mm. the battle that they were fighting at the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Because mm, you could, yeah. fighting for, on the surface, fighting for equality should be, you'd think, well, it's the same now as it was in 1950. But it's not, because that was a completely different era with completely different, it was a different world. And it was mm -hmm. a different battle. The only thing that was the same is, you know, the struggle for equality, but it was yeah. a completely different battle that they had to, that they had to deal with. Mm, and yeah, I think we tend to forget that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. I should mention as a closing note that when he passed away on August 24th, 1987, president Ronald Reagan issued a statement on Rustin's death, praising his work for civil rights and for, quote, human rights throughout the world. He also added that Rustin was, quote, denounced by former friends because he never gave up his conviction that minorities in America could and would succeed based on their individual merit. Because he was not, and I should back up and say, Rustin was not necessarily a supporter of affirmative action. Interesting. But I mention this because out of all the people to say something, Ronald Reagan... That's not who the I guy, was expecting. <laughs> the guy who denied and pretty much ignored the AIDS. pandemic of HIV and AIDS for 10 years. Really? That guy? Please. Yeah, interesting. It is interesting. But uh, 
a very, 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 very short. I did as much service as I could to it in 60th minutes of um, yeah. yard resting. So there it is. All right. Well, thank you, Kenyatta, for once again bringing something that we all needed to hear to our ears. And hopefully it stays between them and we can <laughs> learn, you know, go look a little deeper into them. Sometimes I feel like, did you used to watch Married with Children? Yes. You remember the episode? I can't believe it. That was my guilty pleasure for years. The episode where Al gets the family on a game show, one of them quiz shows, and they discover Kelly is like programmable. So they try to stuff her head full of facts. (laughs) (laughs) But they realize that she can only have so much information in her head at a time. Right. So she she learns one fact too many and the very first thought gets pushed out of her head and it turns out it's the answer to the game winning question. If they lose. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that sometimes. I'm like, if I learn one more thing, something's gonna get pushed out. Oh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh and I'm not saying, you know, learning about the life of someone like this is a bad thing. It's just there's there's even so much I know I don't know about. And yeah. I can ease. I can easily go down. Like even researching him, it was easy to go down a rabbit hole, looking at yeah. all the organizations he had been in, involved with, and all the uh, the notable events that he had been involved with as well, and all the political positions he adopted at some point. It just, it's always a lot, and that's not a bad thing. But sometimes, sometimes, it's it's for your mental health that you compartmentalize. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. Totally get it. But anyway. I'm there because it's, you know, I've gone through almost like a religious deconstruction, you know, over the last X number of years. And sometimes it's just overwhelming to be like, not this too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not this person too. Not, you know, it can be a lot. I, I tend to say, I don't know if you ever heard me say it. I tend to say not everything is racist, but a lot of stuff is racist. Yeah. Take with, take from that what you will. Because a lot of things that people would not think were racist or were sprung from some kind of prejudice or bigotry is. Are, is in fact. Sp- is in fact. Yeah. Sprang from that. Oh, or boy. Sprung. Sprung, sprang, whatever. Yes, there's a lot of stuff that is totally like that. And we've discussed that before. Yep. So, Friends, our time is drawn nigh. Would you like to take us away on the big, big Puff the Magic Dragon? (laughs) That didn't make any sense. (laughs) I shall. Um, There's not really a good sort of funny transition that one can make after talking about a more serious topic like that one. So I'll just Mm. go ahead and say it. If you would like to learn more information about significant people in, you know, in our history that you may not know about or significant events, and you would like to help us continue in this mission, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash hyperfocus pods. Any support you get would be more than welcome. And with that, friends, I just have to add, friends, we've been talking about it since practically month three. 
of this humble little podcast, this little grassroots endeavor, that we would dearly love to give out merch. So please help us, allow us to give it to you. Thank you. Yes. Yep. (laughs) That is true. And with that, um, thanks for listening to the world's number one podcast of people that went to Tinker Elementary. And we'll uh, catch you on the next one. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. <laughs>